From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. A number of states have toughened up their abortion laws. Alabama is the toughest, but there are new laws in Georgia, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, Arkansas, Utah, and Ohio, which is where Stephanie Ronaday Kreider is executive director of Ohio Right to Life. And Stephanie, I wanted to ask you um, not so much about the Ohio bill, but about the Alabama bill, which has claimed most of the attention because it appears to be an absolute ban, even in cases of rape and incest. Where do you stand on that? Well, David, I think that we certainly respect the right of Alabama to do what they see fit for their state. You know, they have a pro-life woman who sponsored the legislation, a pro-life female governor who signed it into law. I have a lot of respect for what they're doing in Alabama. Here at Ohio Right to Life, we have taken an incremental approach to ending abortion. The United States Supreme Court doesn't seem to be excited, I guess, about um, making big sweeping changes to precedent in a lot of different ways, but also on the pro-life cause. And so our belief is if we're able to sort of chip away at that um, constitutional right to abortion that was established in Roe, I think that we will be more successful than, say, passing an outright ban on abortion, which I honestly believe the court is less likely to take up. Is it fair to say that the reason for this spate of bills is because the court now has a conservative majority and there is, in fact, a good chance that it might go along with some of these? Yeah, absolutely. Now with the appointment of two pro-life justices, Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh, we believe that we do have more likelihood. And it's hard to say, but, you know, the president may get another Supreme Court appointment before something like the heartbeat bill even makes it to their docket. And so I think it's a really promising time. And we really are trying to capitalize on on the timing of that. Okay, so if you reach your goal and the federal government gets out of the way, Roe v. Wig is overturned and states can pass whatever they want. For, for As far as you're concerned, in Ohio, what do you envision a woman's, a pregnant woman's choices being under that environment? Sure. So our hope is, you know, once Roe v. Wade is overturned, that in Ohio, at the very least, we'd have the standard of the heartbeat being the moment at which abortion is banned. Um, but we would prefer to really make it from the moment of conception and ban all abortion, except in the case to save the life of a mother. Okay, so ideally, you would go, you'd like to see the, the Alabama bill then? Yeah, yeah. I I guess I should clarify that. I think that is the ultimate goal of the pro-life movement on the whole. I think that we just have had to be more strategic. Well, basically, there's no choice. It's it's pretty much forced birth once you have a successful conception. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I wouldn't use the term forced birth. I think people have choices leading up to... Well, what would the choice be? Well, I'm saying they they have choices leading up to the situation before they become pregnant. Um, but once they find that they are pregnant, once a woman finds she's pregnant, if it's, you know, an unintended pregnancy or whatever the case may be, um, there are pro-life pregnancy resource centers all across the country, maternity homes, um, Mm -hmm. ministries who are already serving hundreds of thousands of women across the country every day. So I think that, you know, obviously there's some, some scaling that needs to be done of that work. I think that they're going to have to do a lot of preparation to be able to um, prepare to serve all of those women. But that is certainly a goal strategically for Ohio Right to Life. Right, that the state, the state requires you to give birth upon a successful conception. Um, I, I suppose so. I don't, you know, it's hard to put well, it... I mean, you either do or you don't. I mean, we, we might as well just be frank about it. The state requires... The, the uh, ultimate purpose of the Alabama law is that you are required to give birth 
unless giving birth would, I guess, outright kill you. Although there are some exceptions. Apparently, there's an exception in the Alabama bill where if you're diagnosed with mental illness such that you would try to perform your own abortion, then you could go ahead with a, a clinical abortion. But uh, other than that, whether it's rape or incest, upon successful conception, the state requires that you go through with the birth. Yeah, I think that brings up an interesting point. There's a lot of um, conversations that still need to happen at the state legislative level, and that will go state by state. That's our hope if Rose are returned, that every state then has that debate. You know, at what point do we mm-hmm. believe that? No, but I'm just curious as, as to what you yourself feel as would be the ideal environment. It sounds like it, with you agree with the Alabama bill that a woman has a responsibility once she conceives to give birth. I think that my personal view is that my hope is every woman would find abortion unthinkable, not just something that's illegal. But you're using, you, you can't use the language of I would hope, I would hope. This is because you're talking about laws now. Yes, we would all hope that every pregnancy is successful. I certainly hope that. But we're not talking about hope anymore. Once these bills are passed, it is a it is a government requirement which can be enforced by the courts and I assume ultimately by the police that a woman gives birth. If she is known to be pregnant and refuses somehow, she would be compelled to give birth unless, I suppose, she tries to uh, do the abortion herself. Um, I do still use the language of hope because we still need the United States Supreme Court to make a ruling on this. So, But that's, that's my hypothetical, though. I'm assuming we're, we're talking about what happens when you get your way, essentially, because I think people have a right to know what the environment would be once Roe v. Wade is overturned. And uh, we have Alabama-style bills. It is the state requiring a woman to give birth. Yeah, I think it's the state okay. requiring that a woman is not able to get an abortion. So, as, you know, assuming she has that no means giving birth, <laughs> unless unless yeah. it's a spontaneous miscarriage. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Although, how would you know it was spontaneous? Because this also this also prohibits the use of drugs. Correct? It's not just uh, an abortion performed by a doctor. The Alabama bill says no drugs, so no Plan B either. Um, so I can't speak to that specifically. I don't know if Plan B is something that's looped in. There is something that is um, sort of casually referred to as the abortion pill, and that is different from Plan B. That's something called Mifeprex, which is a, a two-dose regimen that induces mm-hmm. an abortion. So that in Ohio is considered the same thing as a surgical abortion in our law. Um, you know, I can't assume that it's the same in Alabama law, but let's say it is. For right. The so how would, how would that be handled? I know the Alabama law says that no woman would be prosecuted for seeking an abortion. But suppose she's the one who takes the drug that causes the abortion. Would you punish her? No, I believe, and again, I can't speak to the specifics of the Alabama law. In Ohio, we have never passed a law that criminalizes a woman or, or enacts criminal penalties for a woman who has had or is seeking an abortion. The criminal penalties oh. are always assigned to the doctor or you know, in the case where I know that there are ways that women also are able to get the abortion pill that I referred to before via right. mail or the Internet or something like that. Um, in that case, they would criminalize whoever has provided that drug to her. I see. So you so you basically have to go to a state that allows that drug to get it. Now, if a woman so if a woman just went out of state, got the drug, came back, then she would not be prosecuted. I believe that is correct. I don't think that we would be able to, in Ohio, prosecute someone for having had an abortion yeah. in, say, Pennsylvania. So then this law really applies only to women who can't afford to travel. Um, that's a good question. I would say no. I think that it applies equally to every woman who becomes pregnant. But I think there's already sort of that inequality in our 
in our society, I wouldn't say abortion policy, but um, if you look at, at the statistics, the socioeconomic statistics of a woman having an abortion now, they are more likely to be low income. They're more likely to already be mothers. They are more likely to already have had at least one prior abortion. So, you know, people throw that out as this is almost creating like a privilege for abortion of right. higher income women. But I would say that that is true now, if if not also in the future. Right. Well, but it's going to probably be even more pronounced, though, right? Because now it's not even an option. If a woman were to be able to raise the money, uh, she would have trouble getting an abortion in Alabama. So she would not just to raise the money for the abortion, but to actually travel to a place that allows it. Yeah, that perhaps would be true. I just think that, you know, ultimately our goal isn't just to pass a law that bans abortion. Our goal is to also change hearts and minds along the way right. so that like I said, abortion is almost unthinkable. A woman would feel like she had every support she needed or could access every support she needed to either become a mother or, you know, adopt her baby to a family who, who is ready and willing to take that baby. So let's talk about what that would look like then. Many times uh, it's true people have an abortion because uh, they'll say, I'm not ready for the baby and we can't afford it. So you would create an environment where basically everybody who has a baby is guaranteed an income sufficient to raise that child? Um, I don't know that, you know, it's hard to say, I guess, in a policy like that. But I think that certainly our goal is always for opportunity for everyone, equal opportunity. That is what this country is about. And so I would hope that, yes, the pro-life movement would move into the side right. of advocating. Well, for once equal opportunity is achieved, yes. But we're, I think we'd agree we're a long way from that. Your circumstances depend on uh, on where you were born and many times what race you are. But you would You'd pretty much, I mean, to be true to what you say, you would pretty much have to say, if you have this baby, we will guarantee that you can support it, whether you are married, whether you are single, uh, whether you are homeless. I mean, suppose a homeless woman has a, 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 a married woman has a, has a baby and goes through with this because under the law she must. You're not going to let them live in a tent, are you? Right. I mean, I think it's a travesty that right now there are women in that position Absolutely. in probably every city across the country, right? So we support any policy that is going to lift that woman out of poverty here in Ohio. So whatever it costs then? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that, that down the line we'll have to see you know, what that looks like. I don't think that means the government has to enact some sort of um, – uh, I can't think of the term right now, but you know, they have – Entitlement. Like pay. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, entitlements already exist, and there's no reason we can't build upon those. You know, there's Title Well, for example, under the welfare, old welfare law, you used to get more money in welfare depending on the number of kids you have. Then we decided that was encouraging people to have kids, and we took it away. Um, now we're prohibiting abortion, so people pretty much have to have whatever kids they conceive. So you'd have to bring that back when you have to make sure that um, every time a woman does have a child, if she can't afford it, that she gets enough money to raise that child. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways to provide those opportunities. So affordable housing is a key issue, at least mm -hmm. here in Columbus, Ohio it is. Um, I think that, you know, that goes to your question of a homeless woman, for example. I, I don't want women living on the streets with their children or, or without their children, you know. I think that everyone should be able to afford a home. So I think providing those opportunities is key. I think there are things like the Title 20 program, which is federal funding for child care, um, I think the mm -hmm. income level to qualify for that is something like $23,000 a year for a woman with one child. I mean, you can't tell me that someone who makes $26,000 a year can suddenly afford daycare for her child. No, they can't. That's right. Right? 
So I think things like that are ripe for revisiting. Here in Ohio, the governor has proposed a budget that increases, I think it almost doubles the money that goes to foster care, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, We're working on getting funding for pregnancy centers in our budget. So I think a lot of this is already, that conversation is already beginning. I think that for us, we're saying, you know, two to three years out is when we believe the heartbeat bill will make it to the docket of the United States Supreme Court. That's just reality. The courts take a long time. We can't speed up the legal system. But that gives us two to three years to start having those conversations mm-hmm. right now. And Don't you think, though, that there should be some kind of trigger such that once Roe v. Wade is overturned and your Alabama-style law goes into effect, that it would then automatically trigger the funding to make sure that these babies do not grow up in poverty? Yeah, I think that's something that we should talk about. We don't have that trigger in our law now. I think it's something we would like to see enacted. Well, wouldn't it be? I mean, I like, I mean, your heart's in the right place. You're talking, you're saying talking about it, but these things tend to fall through the cracks when we start talking about funding. Uh, And this is going to be incredibly uh, expensive. Would it be right for the abortion prohibition to go into effect without the funding for those children all ready to go? No, I don't think it would be right. And so, again, that is why we're having these conversations right now in Ohio, even though we don't know if our law will ever go into effect for one thing. Mm -hmm. We hope that it will, but we think it's likely going to take two or three years. And so that's already started this budget cycle. Uh, One more thing, and uh, this has to do with El Salvador. You're familiar with the case in El Salvador, right? I am not. I'm so sorry. Okay. Well, El Salvador prohibits abortions. As a result... Unfortunately, the suicide rate among teenagers has gone up because their only alternative is to, well, we don't know whether they're suicides or just uh, botched abortions. But in any case, um, they jail you down there if you, uh, if you try to uh, commit an abortion, whether you're the woman or the, uh, or the doctor. Now, we're not going to do that here, but as you know, there are people who get very desperate. They're worried about their sure. families yeah. rejecting them. They're worried about what their lives will be like. Uh, how do you protect those vulnerable girls? That is really awful to hear. And actually, now that you say that, I, I am familiar with women um, being jailed for trying to perform abortions. I think that is also maybe true in Brazil. Um, I think that is incredibly unfortunate. We would never want to punish a mother or her unborn child for whatever her life circumstances may be. If, um, you know, I think this comes up a lot when we talk about domestic violence, for example, a woman can become pregnant in a relationship where she is being um, harmed physically or mentally either way. And I don't believe that, you know, an abortion will solve her problem of domestic violence. I understand why someone in that desperation um, would say this is going to solve at least part of my problem in the long term, right? I won't be tied to this violent person anymore. But at the end of the day, once she's had an abortion, it has not solved her problem of uh, an unhealthy relationship. And so I think there's a lot that needs to be done sort of from a cultural and societal effort to recognize that um, women end up in a situation of an unintended pregnancy for all kinds of different reasons and in all kinds of walks of life. And I think that we need to do our part, not just as pro-lifers, but even people who are pro-choice, I think all of us together need to recognize that those women just need help. And if we need to step it up by stepping up government funding, I think that's a conversation we should have. If we need to step it up just by our community efforts and supporting, you know, community shelter boards and supporting um, violence against women initiatives that prevent it, um, you know, whatever else that looks like, foster care here in Ohio, 
I think that we need to start doing those things on the whole. I think even New York, where they have just proposed um, or enacted rather legislation that says you can have abortion at any time throughout pregnancy. I mean, I hope that New York isn't just throwing up their hands and saying, well, now we don't have to deal with women who are in problem pregnancies, because I hope that they're still providing services for homeless women who find themselves in that situation. Even if they do have an abortion, it hasn't solved their homelessness. So I think there is sort of this whole life aspect, this whole perspective that really, I'm so glad that we're having this conversation nationally about abortion right now. I think it points out all of these other sort of blind spots in our policy where all of these things are related. We are all in this together. We need to figure out how we can support one another. Stephanie Ronaday Kreider is the executive director of Ohio Right to Life. Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on. I appreciate it. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.